Hey everybody, this is Cassie Yost, and you're listening to another episode of Wedding Salt. This one is very special because I'm going to be talking about how you can incorporate film into your wedding workflow. And um, I know some of you might be listening and not even know uh, how film works. So I'm just going to chat about that really quick and um, just some tips that I have for you if you're really wanting to incorporate film into like client sessions or your wedding day or anything like that as a wedding photographer and try to make it super easy. I will say that to understand this, what I'm about to talk about, you do have to have a basic understanding of your camera, of like the three camera settings, shutter speed, aperture, and ISO. And if you don't know those settings, then you probably should um, like find a YouTube video and learn a bit more about um, how to shoot on a manual camera um, because this might just be (laughs) a little bit too much. So, um, So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and start and talk about just like the basic stuff. So if you've ever seen a film photo, you know that it has nostalgia. It um, seems like, you know, it just has like a different kind of quality to it than uh, a digital image. And you can get really close to making a digital image feel like film, like super, super close. But a lot of the time, you really can't replicate it. So um, what I'm going to talk about is like, what is film? Like, what is it made out of? And um, how shooting with film differs than digital, just to have some basic understanding. So film basically is, you know, it is a little canister of a piece of a transparent film base, and I'm sure you've seen it, um, on a roll, it's about 36 shots per roll of 35 millimeter film, which is the size of the film. You can get 35 millimeter film or you can get medium format, which is actually called 120. And you only get 16 shots on that. And that requires a medium format camera. So for our you know, conversation today, I'm only going to talk about a 35 millimeter camera just because, you know, you don't need to worry about medium format or large format or anything like that until you get a hang of like basic film. So, um, the film itself is made out of a really thin film base. It's, it's kind of plasticky And what is on that film base is a gelatin emulsion of light-sensitive silver halide crystals. I know that's a lot, but I, and that's like as fancy as I'm going to get with this. Um, But what's cool is those silver halide crystals that are like kind of like embedded on the film itself are light sensitive or photosensitive. And what that means is whenever light hits the film, Um, those crystals create kind of like a small chemical reaction and that's what creates the image. And the more light you have, the more of that chemical reaction is happening. So that is basically how an image is. I, I, I know this is not the technical definition, but I like to think of it this way. So whenever light hits film, I think of it as like, um, an image being burned into the film. Like it's like ingrained into the film itself And so the more light you have, the brighter the image, right? 
So to create an image, you have to, you know, put your film in your camera and when you press the shutter, light comes through the lens and hits the film and it creates an image. And then you either wind it to move it to the next part of the unexposed film or it will automatically do it for you. Some cameras are not automatic and you have to wind them and other cameras are automatic. So, you know, whenever you go to buy a camera, you want to make sure um, and ask who you're, whoever you're buying from if this is um going to be, you know, an auto advanced camera or if you have to wind it up to advance it to the next portion of the film. The the other thing is that there are different kinds of film cameras. There's like range finders, there are, you know, typical 35 millimeter. There are 35 millimeter cameras that will autofocus. The lens will autofocus for you, which is really nice. Um, those are a little bit more expensive. And then the 35 millimeter cameras that I'm going to recommend that you start out with, the lenses typically don't autofocus. So you have to manually twist the lens with your fingers for it to focus on your subject. And with film, you know, everything is slower. So if that does not sound fun to you, then I recommend just practicing on your own until you can get really fast with the the camera itself. But film is not, not fast. Like I wouldn't use it in a high pace situation during a wedding day where things are moving really fast and I need to make sure I get the shot. Um, if I have a minute in between things, I will, but that that's just something that you need to get. Like when you first start photography, you get comfortable with the camera and now you can like, you know, after a while you get to a point where you just switch the settings on the camera really fast and you don't even need to look at it. You just know what's going to happen. You have to get to that level of comfort with a film camera too. It just takes a little bit more time, especially if your lens is in autofocus. So that is a little bit about film and film cameras. And so what I want to talk about is um, the film itself. So a lot of people really love the look of the grain. They love the look of nos- the, the nostalgic look that it gives. But there are certain kind of film stocks that actually give you more grain over others. And um, there's a YouTube video that I'll put in my in the link in my um, description for the podcast today that this guy goes over all of the different film stocks, or at least the popular ones, and he compares them side by side so you can see how the tones differ, how the grain differs. But in general, the higher the ISO film, the more grain you're going to get. And medium format camera, you're not going to see a lot of grain because it's so much of a bigger negative and it can capture much more than a smaller negative, which is a 35. Like the size difference is pretty big. And so on a 35 millimeter with high ISO film, you can get really grainy images. So if you're really into that, then I do recommend like Portra 800 or um, Ilford 3200. And those are the film stocks that you'd want to use if you really, really love high grain. So that's just a little itty bitty bit about um, film stocks. And I could go like so in depth on the different film stocks and the different tones you can get and how to scan them in and get different tones for different editing styles. Um, But that really, like you need a visual for that. So I'll just leave it there in terms of film, the higher the ISO, um, film that you get, the higher the the grain you'll see. 
And the other thing about film is that it doesn't come in every single ISO. So you can only buy film in uh, like 100, 400, 800, and then 3,200 typically. It depends on the company and the brand, but those are the typical ISOs that you get for film. Now, ISO on film is a little bit different. Well, it's similar to the ISO on your camera, but um, basically the ISO on your camera increases the sensitivity of your sensor to light. So when you increase the ISO on your digital camera, you um, make your camera more sensitive and it picks up light easier. Of course, it makes it a little bit more noisy and and not pixelated, but grainy. Um, And you can change the ISO to be whatever you want, typically on your digital camera. But with film, whatever ISO film you buy is what the ISO is. So you... uh, you have to work with what you have, right? And you can't shoot film unless you have additional light sources in a dark room because it it just won't turn out unless you're shooting like slow shutter and all that. I'm not going to get into it, but there's limitations with film in terms of the ISO. Um, I will talk a little bit about like rating film because I know people talk about that too, but essentially... If you're like, oh yeah, I want I'm shooting on my film camera and I want my ISO to be 1600, like you, it's not like your digital camera where you can just change it. Your film is set <laughs> and you can manipulate your settings to let more light in on the film. Um, but that's the main difference there. The other difference is that on your digital camera, if you underexpose, you usually can fix that image, right? Um, but if you overexpose, you're done. Like that image is, you might as well throw it in the trash, um, your digital trash <laughs> on your computer. Um, you can't recover an overexposed digital image. However, it is the opposite for film. Isn't that crazy? So like if you underexpose film accidentally, there isn't much recovery that you can do. Like your lab unless you tell them like, hey, I accidentally underexposed all of this, please leave it in the developer longer. There's not much they can do. And after they develop the film, you're kind of just stuck with what you have. You can ask them to rescan it and maybe add more contrast and bring the highlights up a little bit more so it doesn't look as like muddy and gross. Um, but yeah, when you underexpose film, it it's really hard to recover that. Again, there are ways to like kind of fix the image, but for the most part, you don't want to underexpose film. On the flip side, overexposing film is much better. In my opinion, there's going to be people who come at me and they're like, Cassie, you need to shoot at box speed and you shouldn't overexpose film. Honestly, it's all preference. And for me, I prefer to overexpose my film one or two stops Um, compared to shooting it at box speed. So what that means is I'm letting in way more light. I'm exposing it or overexposing it. And what you'll find if you look at comparisons of a film stock where someone took a photo at 1 200th, 1 60th, 1 25th, 1 5th of a second, most of those images all look 
very similar and they all look great, even when they're overexposed up to six stops of light, which is crazy to me. Like if you go from one two hundredth of a second and you stop it all the way to like one fifth of a second, you're letting in so much light, right? And you would think that the photo would be so blown out, but film is insanely flexible and forgiving. And it's really hard in my mind to overexpose film um, unless you're just leaving it open for like a full minute, then yeah, it's going to be whitewashed. So film is way more forgiving when you overexpose it. And I prefer overexposing my film one or two stops. Over that, it gets really, really contrasty. And I'm, I'm not like a big contrast fan in my film photos. So that's just something to keep in mind when you're shooting with film. It's much safer to overexpose because you'll probably still get a great shot than to underexpose. So those are my like tips around film and utilizing film. What I'm going to talk about next is like the settings themselves on the camera. So um, with the, the digital camera, you change shutter speed, aperture, ISO, like you change and intermix um, and manipulate those three settings. However, on a film camera, you pretty much only change the shutter speed, which is so cool, right? Like you don't have to worry about the other settings. It's just the shutter speed. And people are so intimidated by film that they they won't take the time to learn. And in my mind, and I get it. Like when I started film in 2006, um, I took a film course in college and I was hooked after that. But it was really intimidating to me at first because I had no clue. I was like, you know, what if I mess up the exposure? Then it's not going to come out. And I think that's why a lot of people are afraid to do film, which I totally respect. Um, but I'm here to tell you, it's not scary. You can do it. And so what's great about film is that typically, you know, you can't change the ISO because the film is set at the ISO that it's set at. So if you buy like Kodak Portra 800, the ISO of that film is 800. You don't change it. And then your f-stop, you typically don't change. Usually you keep your f-stop set within a certain range and you don't change that. So the only thing that you're actually changing on your film camera is the shutter speed itself, which is so great. Now, you're probably thinking, well, I don't even know. Like, how do I know what shutter speed to set it at? The cool part is that when you buy a film camera, a lot of the film cameras have a built-in light meter that usually works really well. And when you buy a film camera, I do recommend taking it to your local film shop or, you know, camera store and have them check it to make sure it's light proof. So no light is accidentally getting through and ruining your film and also have them check to make sure the light meter is accurate. And um, what's cool about it is that if you're looking through the viewfinder, you'll see that it has a light meter and it usually tells you what shutter speed you should be at based on um, what you told the camera the ISO is, because you can do that. Whenever you put a roll of film in, you can change the setting on your camera. Of course, it depends on the camera, but you change a little dial on your camera to let it know like, oh, I just put in ISO 800 film or ISO 400 film. And it knows 
based off of that and the f-stop that you have your lens on, what the shutter speed should be based off of the light that's coming in. And then all you have to do is put your camera up to your eye and look through the viewfinder, you know, point your camera at whatever it is you want to photograph and then look through the viewfinder and it will tell you, it'll have like a little arm or something, um, what the shutter speed should be. And if it doesn't have that, it will tell you in the light meter if based off of your current settings, if the photo is going to turn out too dark or too bright and you can adjust your shutter speed to be slower to let in more light or faster to let in less light to correct that. So the shutter speed is basically all you're changing. Um, Of course, like different cameras require you to do different things. Like some cameras will automatically detect what ISO film you have and other cameras won't. So it's really important that you actually read the manual or watch a YouTube video on your particular model of your film camera so that um, you can see how to change the ISO settings on the camera itself. And, And again, you're not changing the ISO. You're just telling the camera what ISO film you put into it. So it can recommend to you what your shutter speed should be. And then all you have to do is change the shutter speed to be what the camera tells you. So it's actually really, really simple, um, but you just have to get over that hump. Now, if you're afraid that your light meter built in isn't correct, I recommend that you get um, a light meter app on your phone because they are actually accurate. I've tested them or you can buy a handheld light meter. And what's cool about a handheld light meter is you just enter in the, in the light meter what ISO film you're using, what your f-stop is, and then you press the button and it tells you what your shutter speed should be for that particular lighting situation. So that's that's really cool. And you can double check, and that's how I always double check before I shoot. Um, even though my camera's light meter is accurate, I still use my light meter because of the way that I shoot. Um, and the light meter in your camera is actually meter- metering the entire scene. And for me, I actually meter for the shadows because I don't want my shadows to be really contrasty. So I always put my light meter, my handheld light meter in the shadow or on the shadow side of my subject's face so that um, I'm actually metering for the shadows and my camera will brighten that up a little bit by slowing down the shutter speed. So that that is probably a lot to, to take in. You're going to have to rewind this. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention, and I'm not going to get into like advanced light metering or anything like that because you need to see it to understand it. Um, but when you are photographing, you might hear things like, oh, my um, film is 400, but I meter at 200. And all that means, uh, if you want to overexpose your film a little bit, is you can meter your film as if it were a different ISO. And what that means is, say I'm shooting ISO 400 film, and I want it to be brighter What I can tell my light meter, my handheld light meter or an app on my phone is that my ISO of my film is actually 200, which means it's less sensitive to light. And so what it's going to do is 
it's going to mirror the light as if it were less sensitive to light and basically have you slow down your shutter speed even more so that it overexposes the film. That's essentially what metering it is. It's just kind of like lying to your light meter and saying, oh, we don't have ISO 400 film in our camera. We have ISO 200. So it's less sensitive. And that means you're going to have to slow down the shutter even more. So that's typically what I do with my film is I will take whatever the ISO is and I'll cut it in half. So like Ilford 3200 black and white film, I shoot at 1600. Um, If I have um, Portra 800 film, I don't cut that one in half because Kodak is really contrasty. Um, So I actually shoot it as if it were 600 ISO film. And then any of my 400 film, I shoot as if it were ISO 200. And that's just because I want more light um, to come in and make it a brighter image. So that's what metering is. It's nothing advanced or fancy. It's just kind of lying to your light meter about what your ISO is. So, (laughs) oh, poor light meter. Um, So that's like the basic stuff that you need to know about film photography. There's, There's more advanced stuff like, you know, how do you scan it in? Where do you get it developed? When you're working with a a photo lab, um, giving them reference images so they know how you prefer your tones and how you want them to edit, uh, or I'm sorry, they they don't edit your scans. They scan them in um, a little bit differently. And so working with your film lab is going to be really beneficial because straight scans that come from um, from your film aren't always the way that you personally edit or the way that you want the film to look. And until the film lab knows your style, they don't know how to tweak things for your images. So for for me, I like my images to be a little bit cooler and Kodak is a little bit warmer. So I have to tell them, you know, whenever I'm shooting with Kodak, here's an example image that I would like for you to kind of imitate in terms of tones. Of course, if you edit with presets that don't look anything like film, they they can't really um, take your preset and make a film scan look how you would edit. Um, it's more or less exposure, contrast, and um, like tonality in terms of mo- magenta and green and temperature. That's basically all they can manipulate when they scan things in. Um, So if you're someone that like heavily edits your photos, you might have to edit the scans yourself, which you totally can. And there's um, a whole process of doing that too. But um, there's a lot of, (laughs) a lot of nuance and a lot of things in terms of metering, scanning, um, like how much you should charge for weddings to include film because you know, if you're not developing and scanning it yourself, then it can be like $36 per roll that it would cost you to include film. And that can get really spendy really quickly. So I'm not going to talk about all that stuff um, because that's more advanced. And this is more about like just getting a basic understanding of film and incorporating it into your workflow. So one common question that I get a lot from people are, okay, what kind of film camera should I start with? 
And what I recommend is starting with the Canon AE-1. And that one is super common. I think the Pentax K1000 is another common um, 35 millimeter camera. It's a workhorse, like really hard to break these cameras. They, they just last forever. They're really great. And if you can get a 50 millimeter 1.8 or 1.4 lens for those, they're actually pretty cheap for film cameras. Um, you have a really great setup. So again, Canon AE-1 or Pentax K1000, you can find them on eBay. You could go to your local camera store and ask them to um, give recommendations on a good 35 millimeter camera to start. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Um, What matters is that you just get a 35 millimeter camera and start shooting with it. Um, The other one is a point-and-shoot camera. And these are kind of like the the cameras that our parents would shoot with uh, when we were little kids, you know? And you literally put the film in the camera and the camera does the rest. You press down the shutter and it will meter and then it will like fire a flash if it's too dark or it won't. And um, you don't have to think about this whatsoever. You just point and shoot and you don't have to change any settings. It's amazing. So you can go on eBay and buy these. You can go to Goodwill, although I don't recommend Goodwill because you just never know. Or you can go to your local camera store. Um, The popular one, if you want to throw away like $1,500, well, not throw away. Um, If you want to spend like $1,500 is the Contax T2. Um, And that's what like Kylie Jenner has. And I've found that I've shot with that one before and my really cheap $150 camera gets the same quality. So I have a um, Pentax Espio, E-S-P-I-O, 410V, and I I just got it because someone recommended it. You could get whatever you want on eBay as long as it's a point-and-shoot camera um, it or disposable camera, although I think a point-and-shoot where you can change the film is much better. Um, and that one's super easy to like just ease your way into film. And then finally, the medium format camera that I use is a Mamiya 645 AFD2. I know it's a lot. The AFD just means it's like an autofocus. Um, and the 35 millimeter that I use is a Canon 1V. And that one is a little bit more expensive as the 35 millimeter just because um, it will autofocus for you, it will meter, it will do all that stuff for you. And the lens you can use is the same lens that you put on your DSLR Canon cameras, which is so nice. You don't have to buy other lenses. So that's why I use that. But um, for you, starting out, the Canon AE-1 or the Pentax K1000 is great. And I would recommend going to the camera store or like even Amazon. Well, not Amazon. Let's not buy from Amazon. Um you could go on to like KEH or BNH photo and buy like Kodak Gold 200 um, or Kodak Portra 400, Kodak Portra 800. Although the higher the ISO, the more spendy it is. So Kodak Gold is actually really great. It's one of my favorite film stocks and it's one of the cheapest. So you could grab some cheap film and just start shooting um, and get really comfortable with it. Make sure you watch a YouTube video for whatever camera body you buy so you can see how people load and unload film and if they have to rewind the film because sometimes you have to manually rewind the film itself. 
um, and learn how to take the film out and also how it meters. So just make sure that you watch a YouTube video for your particular camera model on how to do all of that because different cameras do different things. Now, um, so I talked about the kind of film cameras you can get. What I recommend to introduce uh, film to your wedding workflow, because it's just going to be another thing that you're not used to, is to do a point and shoot first. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, film photography involves a lot of thinking on top of your DSLRs. And you don't want to have to think about another thing when you're trying to capture these moments. So what I would do is I would get a point and shoot camera, have it around your neck, have your DSLRs on your harness. And anytime you have like a moment that isn't rushed, go ahead and, you know, take a photo with your point and shoot. It's a really good way to start understanding different lighting situations and how film looks in different lighting situations. And it starts to add film to your portfolio, which is great. And it's a low pressure way to do that. Once you feel really comfortable with your 35 millimeter and you're comfortable with changing those settings or the shutter speed and metering and reading the meter, then bring that in and start shooting with that. And um, I would do that after you feel really confident and comfortable changing those settings. And of course, you're going to mess up and have some shots that are just dark or don't come out really well. And that's totally fine. That's part of it. I still have some film shots that will come out because I accidentally um, forgot to change the f-stop in between lighting situations or whatever. Or with my medium format camera, it's so annoying. Every time I put it down, my hand accidentally changes the dial on my lens and it changes the f-stop. And I've learned I have to put gaffer's tape on my lens so that it doesn't change the dial um, and increase my f-stop. So those are hard lessons that you learn, um, but you definitely want to incorporate it one film camera. Don't bring like four like me. I'm psycho. Um, one film camera and have it planned out so that you're like, okay, during the ceremony, um, I will take one photo on film if there's time. During reception, I'll do my point and shoot. During getting ready, um, I'll give myself an extra 20 minutes, get there 20 minutes earlier, and shoot some shots on my film camera. So you really have to have a plan of action when you go into the wedding day and say, okay, I'm not going to use my film camera for these parts of the day, but I'll have it on standby for getting ready or the reception, just so you're not like having to think about it on the fly. Um, Because that's just one more thing that's going to slow down your workflow. The other thing that I recommend is thinking about which, like, which camera do you really want to use during that day? There are some weddings where I'm like, ooh, the reception is going to be really, really popping. So I'm going to bring my point and shoot um, with flash on it so they can get the really cool dance floor photos. That being strategic will eliminate so much stress and using film. And that's how I still approach it. If I know that I'm shooting a wedding, it's going to be really dark and the getting ready area is going to be super dark and there's not enough light for film. I won't bring my film camera. I might bring my point and shoot possibly, 
for the reception. But um, if I know it's going to be rushed or it's, you know, we won't have time or the getting ready space is just way too dark, then I just won't bring the film camera. So those are considerations to think about as you slowly introduce film into your workflow. Now, I also have a couple of links that I'll put on the um, podcast notes so that you can look at film comparisons. And I also have my top favorite film emulation presets that not I haven't made, other people have made, but I have scoured the internet for these presets so that I can get my photos to look similar to the film that I'm shooting that day. Um, and I've put all of these resources in the podcast for you so you don't have to search for it. And that's pretty much it. If you have questions about more film or anything like that, just shoot them my way. Um, and I'm also possibly putting together a comprehensive film course, but I need to know if there is a lot of interest for it. So if you're interested in it, leave a comment um, on my lo- latest Instagram post and let me know if you would be interested in it. I'm thinking about doing like um, the people who are on my wait list, which I'll put a link to that in the podcast as well. Um, people who want to get on the wait list will get 50% off when I launch the course. And then if you're not on the wait list and don't buy within the first week, um, the price will go up. But I want to kind of gauge all of this before I wrap up all of the the filming because it's a lot to film um, and just see how many of you are interested. So that's that's pretty much it. I hope you got a lot of information out of that. And of course, if you have questions about film, just go over to my Instagram, send me a DM. I'm Cassie Oast Photo, and I would love to help you out with that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening and I'll chat with you all later.